Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 4, titled, And Now His Watch Has Ended. Uh, that would be the, the brother who, the burning on the pyre. Yeah, that's it, week. Bannon. Yeah. His, his watch is over, for we'll sure. We'll not see the likes of him ever again. Nope. Uh, what do you think of this episode? I thought this was a really good episode, because it's like... Uh, especially on rewatch uh, with some distance removed because it's interesting to see, uh, you know, and we're not going to spoil anything, obviously, but knowing what's coming, it's interesting to see all the different machinations. Like you've got mm-hmm. Peak, Tywin, Olena, Marjorie, Littlefinger, Varys, all ske- Tyrion, all scheming and trying to compile information and not ha- working on incomplete information. And at the kids' table, you have Joffrey and Cersei. Right. Uh, but it's 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 really fun because like you are not sure whose people's loyalties are, what they're actually wanting, how nakedly self interested are they? Mm-hmm. You know, we we really don't know a lot of the the, the the I mean Tywin, we know he's pretty nakedly self interested, but everybody else is shades of gray and Littlefinger. Uh, and I thought that's what really propels the episode. Plus, I thought the the mutiny craster's keep was cool. The old bear going out like a boss was was pretty awesome. And <laughs> I just wish he had squeezed a little bit harder. I know. Just like, a little bit harder, a little bit longer. Clearly the man's doomed, but could you just crush <laughs> yeah. Rath's windpipe? Please. I mean, god damn it. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Danny betraying uh, that, the maesters, or yeah, the they, wise masters, rather. It was amazing to me what they did with just a single scene of Danny in this episode, because, yeah. like, I, I felt like I hadn't missed a beat, you know, from last episode where... She's getting shit on, and she's making these deals that people think are crazy, yeah. and then, you know, she comes in like a boss and just lays waste to the whole city. Yeah, <laughs> and the I, masters. I have my problems sometimes with Alex Graves' take on Game of Thrones, but he really brought the epic, like, that scene where uh, Jorah is, like, staggering through the smoke and fire of the mm-hmm. ruin um, I felt was ju- would be at home in, like, a Kubrick or a Coppola... Yeah. production like that's mm-hmm. like that's full metal uh alchemist that's full metal like jacket, jacket that's now, apocalypse right? now yeah. like i love the smell of burning slavers in the morning yeah smells like victory <laughs> uh but yeah uh what do you what do you think yeah you're, no you're i thought it was awesome vigorously nodding so I yeah guess i mean the, the scene with cersei and tywin uh, yet another mm. awesome scene for uh charles dance who yes. just plays the worst father in history and he is tywin he like, is, yeah. He has uh, just, just that's, uh, yeah. He just owns owns that role. I mean, I've never read the book, so of course, obviously, by de facto, he defines Tywin for me. But I can't imagine anyone else playing him. What's amazing is like even when I read the book and the des- the book description is not especially dance like, I still see like as I'm seeing his golden lamb chops described, I'm still seeing Charles golden dance. lamb chops. Yeah. Yeah, like he's like, got a big. Yeah, he's got. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I, it, he's it is it is really good, and that scene yeah. also shows that he's an equal opportunity shitty father too. Absolutely, yeah. It's Tyrion, not just Tyrion. Cersei. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really like I don't even know that like Tyrion gets it worse because he's just dismissive and like he called well, Cersei neither. stupid to her face and yeah. ineffectual and oh you mm. think you're my favorite child well let me set you straight like any <laughs> child that had the temerity to ask anything from him gets smacked down yeah and, and of course you know Tyrion's not allowed to inherit lands or titles but guess what 
Neither is Cersei. Yeah, and that's just because she has a vagina. <laughs> exactly. Like that's, she just came into the world with that. Like she didn't have to be born deformed or a whoremonger or anything like that. It's... Yeah. No, I think I think uh, Tywin probably views her as being born deformed because she's a woman. That, I mean, you're not you are not wrong. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, great episode yet again. Uh, there's some good Jamie and Brienne moments in there too, which we'll talk about all of it. Are we ready to do that? Let's do it. Before we get to the episode, I want to talk about what's going on here at Bald Move this week. Uh, of course, Jim and I are also doing another HBO show, a miniseries called Sharp Objects. Really enjoying starring Amy Adams, uh, among others. It's it's giving me a lot of those uh, true detective kind of feels. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're midway through the season. We're having a lot of fun with that. Better Call Saul comes back for season four uh, this upcoming Monday, which means we'll have a podcast dropping for it Wednesday. Uh, we did the preview podcast. It's already out this week for you to enjoy. Uh, this week, we also looked at Mission Impossible Fallout. Next week, we're going to be looking at uh, Spike Lee's new joint, Black Klansman. That seems ridiculous and, and fun. It's, based, it's supposed to be based on a true story. Okay. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes, uh, the, that, that plays out. Also, uh, we are doing twitch.tv uh, streaming of twitch.tv slash bald move every Tuesday and Thursday at 4 p.m. Jim and I are playing, out, playing video gangs. Video gangs. We're taking all video gang comers. Come on down. Get your ass beat. Uh, no, we're playing video games and we're hanging out with our fans and the channel and just kind of talking. It's pretty cool. If you like video games, check it out. Speaking of video games, we also did a playthrough for club members of Life is Strange, the bonus episode from Before the Storm. Short and sweet, and it's on YouTube if you're a club member. Uh, also, speaking of club, we've got the Quips, Quit Your Pitching, where Jim and I f- uh, pitch fake TV shows at each other, dropping next Wednesday. And finally, for Game of Thrones fans, uh, this is the last week of uh, my Kickstarter campaign, book.baldmove.com, the book on the religions of Westeros that uh, uh, I've been working on. Uh, we've already funded. We've got some stretch goals that we may or may not hit. You can check it out. But this is the last time. This is the last remem- reminder you'll get because if you wait until next Thursday, it's going to be over. And you all these uh, – uh, cool stretch goals and limited uh, uh, limited edition like reward stuff will be gone. Uh, it closes uh, Tuesday or Wednesday at midnight, which means if you wait till Wednesday, it's already gone. Book.baldmove.com if you want to help me out on that. Thanks. All right, we start off with Jamie forced to ride with his severed hand around his neck, and he he grows weak and falls off his horse and then he tries to fight his way to freedom but he's really just no match for his captors and i can't tell if he's no match because there are just too many of them and he doesn't have his good sword hand or if he's actually weak or if that was just a ruse well i mean certainly he hasn't gotten any stronger since brian and him tussled and now he's using his off hand so i think it's i mean it's just pathetic is what it is and the men are using it as like sport like And, and man, there's such so many great things because, like, I feel like when he fell in that shitty mud hole and he came up with the sword, they had this quick look of Brienne where she's got, like, this a raging justice boner. Like, like she, she's she, she just because <laughs> of the person she is kind of believes for a minute that maybe Jamie's going to prevail against all these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, but then he doesn't, of course. And maybe and, in good health with a good hand. Right, and she has to get it because, like, you know, she can't abide this bullying and, like, mm-hmm. this betrayal of what it means to be a warrior and a knight. So she gets mixed into it, too. Um, yeah. Yeah. She, she she can't abide dishonor in whatever form it comes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, she'd just literally rather here. die. Yeah. Um, 
I, I do bet that Jamie here is wishing he had been a little more cooperative with Brienne, as as now he has a new escort who's not quite as accommodating. Yes. Uh, to put it nicely. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you can kind of see that in his face. every time he fell into the mud and that, like, probably shit, too, I'm thinking, you've got a stump. Yeah. Uh, an open stump, and, like, the infection potential mm-hmm. here is just like, ah... It literally, it's like it's uh, it's it's a very unpleasant feeling to contemplate that, and also the the hand jingle jangling. Like there's one scene where he ends up in the mud, and the hand is kind of like on his face. I'm like, yeah. that's got to stink so bad, and it's got to smell. And it's your <laughs> plus, it's the horror, or it's your exactly, own hand. Yeah. You know, I'm not so worried about the smell. It's more like the reminder. It's just a whole thing. Like it's yeah. like there's uh you know, show's not short of its uh, forms of torture, but I'm pretty sure chopping a man's hand off and making him wear it as a necklace is. I mean, I guess Davos does it by choice. By choice, he consented. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. He does. He, he, he yeah. wears the bones as a good luck charm. So. Forgot about that. He doesn't show them off very much. No, he keeps them. Keeps them in that little baggie. <laughs> All right. Then we go to Tyrion asking Varys to find proof that his sister tried to have him killed. Uh, Varys tells Tyrion the story of how he was cut, as he calls it, uh, and then he reveals that this box he's been opening the entire scene contains the sorcerer, the man who did it. Uh, this this is a great scene too. Um, it really gives you a look into Varys's head, you know, with yeah. his his idea of uh, influence and in this case revenge being a case of patience, right? Um, and he is, uh, I don't know if he's the most patient man in Westeros, but he's damn near. Well, the other thing I like it is because Varys. People fear Varys because of his spy network and what he can do with that information. But a lot of people, you know, see him as weak mm-hmm. and, and you know, like like an, an unmanly. And I just think it, this this story he lays out of being this little boy and you know, slice root the stem, and then using that that anger and that disgust and uh, to to work himself up from this lowly position to. You know, on the small council and, and being a big mover and shaker in Westeros and across the whole planet, I think is kind of like, yeah, underestimate Varys at your at at your peril mm-hmm. because his he his uh, his anger and rage and revenge runs deep and his cons are long. Yes, uh, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more of that in the spoiler section. But I would not want to be that warlock in that that their crate. Yeah. No, he's also. This is a case of um, the magic, you know, not not the ice magic or whatever the White Walkers have going on, uh, kind of being verified by somebody we trust as mm-hmm. the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know, like, what the leanings of the sorcerer are. Does he say in this scene whether it's like a Lord of the Light thing or whether? No, it's... they don't. Like, he could be yeah. like we've seen the warlocks of Preet. We've seen you know like you said, he does the... describe it as like a flame, but a blue flame. Right. Uh, and so maybe it's like a Lord of the Light kind of thing, right? Where he's sacrificing his genitals to the Lord of the Light for some reason. Right. That Lord of the Light, he's really you know he's hungry for genitals. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he needs genitals. Uh, yeah, yeah, I wonder. So, I wonder because, like, I was. Um, it's funny because when I was doing taking my notes, I, I texted back and forth Anthony the guy I'm writing this uh, this religion book. And I'm like, you know, because we're pondering a, like a, a second volume of like expanded material and things that like um, you know are interesting topics. But we, you know, you, you, we want to do a forty five thousand word thing, and we're probably could easily write a hundred thousand words on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know. It might be interesting to do like these, like what are what would you call these religions? These things that are like, uh, like like these these just witchcraft, 
and right. and, and sorcery and and you know mm-hmm. they're like unknown guy and like or maybe even just like demonology or something and like it'd be cool to kind of do a deep dive on that because there's all this stuff and there's like these woods witches and these like mm-hmm. unnamed warlocks worshiping unknown gods and what is that having you know because like a lot of times like in modern times we think of witches and it's like the wiccan stuff but like right. you know there people i think used to carry themselves as magic practicers and uh mm-hmm. were those just religions we didn't understand i think that's a fascinating topic um and something that you know unfortunately we only know what what george is going to tell us about it but there is these like in the in the like in the cracks between the major religions all these these weirdos off doing shit both wicked and benign mm-hmm. all right then we move on to or did you want to talk anything about Tyrion and his concerns? No, I here? just just like he comes in here with a big pity party and Varys isn't having it, and yeah. it's such an inspiring speech. Like the whole like you know patience and the contents of a man's letters being worth more than his uh, purpose and revenge will be yours if you have the patience and the stomach for it. And that's mm-hmm. the thing that I thought was the real where Varys turns into a hard ass is like. I mean, this is this is the equivalent of him slapping Tyrion in the face, like Tyrion slapped Joffrey. Mm-hmm. Like, are you going to be so weak that not only do you not have the patience to, oh, oh God, you don't have influence, oh, oh, oh you're still a, a rich boy, uh, and your dad hates you, but everybody else in the land, it, like, look at me, look what I did, and, like, if you did have your revenge, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You're going to string up Cersei? You're going to chop off her head and put on a battlement? Like, are you really going to, like, if you have her in this box, what are you going to do, little man? Yeah. And I'm not sure Tyrion, Tyrion knows. Yeah, he might not yet, um, and he might need some guidance from someone who's a little more patient. And I, I think, like, also the fact that he it, he's so down on this new position he has, right? Yeah. Being the master of coin. Yeah. But look at what Littlefinger has done with that, right? Littlefinger has moved on from that. He used that as a catapult to potentially going and marrying into an army as they talk about here yeah uh becoming one of the most dangerous men in westeros and potentially as various fears gaining all of the north like this could be a springboard if you look at it in the right light i mean he's already got harrenhal he's got he's soon to have uh the veil if Mm -hmm. he has the north like he's arguably the most power powerful single man not the king in westeros right and those guys can even be threats threats to to the king especially if you you get the parts of the world that are kind of like untouched by like battle like the veil is um right and it's interesting because like there's the symmetry that all three of tywin's children get a drubbing Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on their moral and uh, work ethic failures, I suppose. Um, you know, Cersei <laughs> gets it from 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 Tywin, but uh, you know, Jaime gets one from Brienne. Here's mm-hmm. uh, Tyrion getting one from from Varys, um, and to see like the reactions for all that. And the other thing is, Varys is like proof. It's it's like. This is busy work for you, trying to prove that your sister did this. Mm-hmm. Like, you either know it or you don't. And then, right. like, this is just delaying you to contemplate the next step, which is the revenge aspect that I don't mm-hmm. even think you have the stomach for. It's great. It's a fucking great speech. It's well-written and extremely well-acted and shot. Yeah. All right, move to the Night's Watch, who are shoveling pig shit up at Craster's. Uh, it becomes clear that some of them, the the ones we like, are willing to still follow Lord Commander's leads. The ones we don't, namely Rast, yeah. are not. Uh, and you can see that th- things are not well in the ranks. Yeah, Grin and Ed are shoveling shit. Rast is starting it. Yep. <laughs> very, very good. Uh, and then we move on to Gilly. She's very worried about her baby boy's life. And Sam's trying to comfort her. But neither of them, including Sam, I think, believes that he's capable of protecting her and this boy. So kind of 
kind of ends there. He he storms out of the tent. Yeah, I mean, the throwing his stupid thimble back in his face, and it's like, I you know, I want your fucking thimble. I want you to save my baby's life. And if yeah. you can't do that, I got no time for you because all I have is time for him, and he's got not much of it. It's just a uh, slamming the door shut on him. <laughs> and, you know, it, yeah. man, it's like I'm saying, it's like, this is an episode where people get their comeuppance, where people mm-hmm. get, like, gut checked. Yep. Um, and we'll, we'll we'll see what comes of it. So then there's a dream that Bran is having where he climbs a tree and he finds his mother, who, in the course of making him promise not to climb anymore, causes him to fall uh, in a shot that is... I, I, it looks identical to the shot where he falls out of the tower. Mm-hmm. He's pushed out of the tower. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought it's it's nice echoes back to, you know, Ned's sister with her, you know, like he's in uh, this this promise that we don't know what's all about that he his sister made him make like there's like i think there's intentional echoes of that in in this Mm -hmm. scene all right um and he when you know wakes up from that dream and and jojen's staring at him like he knows what's up because he's in the beginning of this Mm -hmm. dream i was your mother in that dream oh god (laughs) scary uh all right Roz reports podrick's profound sexual skills to varus and varus is more interested in little little fingers plans which Roz is happy to spill the beans on. Uh, Littlefinger apparently is booking two feather beds for the ship he's leaving on, which leads them to believe that he's taking Sansa. Joke's on them, because he's just putting Sansa in the crate. To, he's just doubling up on the feather bed. <laughs> right. Oh. You know, oh. I might want to sleep in a different bed. So this is your best mattress? I'll take two. Because, <laughs> right. by God, if I, if I shift and I feel a hard deck beneath me, I'm <laughs> going to burn the ship down that I'm on. Uh, yeah. It's funny, though, because I, I, thought, I started rolling my eyes. I'm like, wow, they really run with this pod the rod thing in this season mm-hmm. but it, it 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 it's really cleverly written because it's it's just like light fluffy thing about oh you know uh, prodigies in odd places but then it pivots to Roz kind of showing her qualities that you know mm-hmm. she's got she's literate she's got a good head on her shoulders and she sees the significance of uh, the two feather beds right and i even maybe you know, she's had more time to think about it, but maybe more readily than Varys even does. Well, I was I was debating that when I was watching this. I'm like, is Varys sandbagging a little bit because he wants to kind of see her strut her stuff to see exactly what he's working with? Because like, gotcha. uh, I, I maybe he didn't notice the feather beds, but like asking, well, maybe it's for his women. Like, if it's for mm-hmm. Littlefinger's women, they'll be in his feather bed. Sure. Like, I get uh, you don't have the equipment anymore, but you do understand how <laughs> it works, right? Uh, right. Um, yeah, it, it also serves, you know, this thing with Podrick and then the more important thing with Littlefinger, it also serves to show you that he's gathering information of all types, right? He doesn't just want to know what the most important people in Westeros are doing at any moment. He also wants to know more about the people who are close to them, mm-hmm. which I think is good. You know, maybe that information comes in handy later. He doesn't know, so he collects it. Yeah, and I think this is, like, some of the first, like, direct opposition to Littlefinger. Like, they've all fought and sparred and yeah. jockeyed for power, but, like, Varys is, is actually moving because he's alarmed, you know? Like, Littlefinger is just pff, taking three massive steps beyond him in the game, and, and he's working mm-hmm. to actively, actively check him. Uh, so then we go to Joffrey giving Marjorie a macabre tour of the Sept of Baelor. That's what this place is called, yeah? Mm-hmm. Great yep, Sept. The Great Sept of Baelor. Baylor okay. the Blessed. Uh, while Cersei and Elena discuss the history or of their husbands and their sons, and Joffrey's tour ends when they hear the rowdy crowds outside the gates, Marjorie convinces Joffrey to go out to greet them as Cersei feels her influence waning. <laughs> it, you know, we, we talk about Jack Gleason here. Uh, yeah. 
and how tough it is to play. Because like I, as I was watching the show, it's like it is really tough to play this guy straight. Where like he's mm. he's laughing, like and there's nothing that in his face because I feel like a lot of people would like camp this up. Right, uh, you like know, wink at the camera to let you know, like that the Alan Rickmans of the world or right. the Willem Dafoe's of the world would have added a little bit more to this. And he's just like he's just I'm playing a psychopath, and mm-hmm. I think it's hilarious the idea that someone would feed their mother to a dragon in front of somebody or drink wildfire and and kill himself, and then like uh-huh. his. The fool. And, and there's also a little he's a little stupid because sure. he says like he thought drinking wildfire bring back the dragons. <laughs> he was wrong. <laughs> like like cuz he would need that clarification. Otherwise, you right, know. Right, right. It's and it shows yeah, his dim view of Marjorie as like a too. woman who's not, you know, well learned in these Yeah. He's just a shit all around and you're right, he plays it so perfectly. Does not flinch from what a, a shit he's being asked to be, which is yeah. kind of like I think like as brave as acting gets, you know. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's what sets this character apart from other bad guys, right. from other villains. Right. In my mind. Right. Because there's like, you know, some people like, you know, like Darth Vader has his champions. There's there's people that, that like Darth Vader. Uh, sure. Joffrey, you know, Joffrey's not inspiring a fan base. No, you can't I don't like think Joffrey. So. Or if it is, it's the kind of fan base like Charles Manson has. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's it's that that that. So that first part is is pretty glorious. And then we have um, Elena is so interesting because. I feel like she almost gets Cersei on her side by like uh-huh. with with just how you know she she's 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 sized up Cersei probably with Marjorie's help uh mm-hmm. with intelligence and like hits exactly the point that the 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 hits the the chord in her is going to resonate like oh you know it's us women like if only the men would listen like our boys are always trying to kill themselves yeah how hard it is to to tell right. to teach your sons anything right and he's she's also cuz like Cersei's like well you know your all self-deprecation is all well and good but also you know your your husband and son have done these and oh you just laid siege to a banquet table like everything's just oh you don't worry right. about us roses and <laughs> it's it's really calculated and good and like i think Cersei almost falls for it until at the very end yeah. When uh, she falls back in line, you know, especially, plays the part of someone who, especially in Marjorie, she sees Marjorie lead like something that she could never get Joffrey to do to go out there and let the people adore him and like play it up a little bit, right? And this is the thing: I almost feel like the combination of Elena and Marjorie are pushing a little too fast here. Like yeah. maybe if they hadn't gone so hard after Joffrey and had started on Cersei a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. um, this might have worked. Because I think the thing that that you know, sets Cersei off here is seeing that Elena is trying to do the same to her that Marjorie is doing to Joffrey. Right. She she sees those parallels. Right. And she's cop, not incredibly cop. stupid. Uh-huh. She's just like not as smart as maybe her father is. But right. like she gets what's going on here and yeah, she immediately shuts that down. Right. Cersei's interesting because I'll even grant that like maybe she could have been as good as her dad, but like she's like a very talented person, a pro like like again I don't know that I actually believe this, but if I was to make an argument that Cersei was like this talented prodigy, but she's like, like, uh, you know, Amadeus, if he never got to play a piano until he was 38 years old, 
Like, you can have all that genius that you want, but, like, if every single time gotcha. you try to step forward and be like, well, put a sword in my hand, no, go back to knitting. Yeah. Uh, I want to sit in the war council. No, go read fucking, you know, Jonquil and what's-her-face. I can't even remember the, uh, the, the, the stupid thing. Uh, but go back and read your night stories. Like, you mm-hmm. know, how good could she possibly be? Yeah. And then the whole time she was with Robert was just... You know, the realm was kind of at peace, and Robert's a shitty king, and there wasn't a lot of machinations going on. Her dad was kind of running things. It, I, I understand her frustration, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I don't know. I don't. I also think the Tywin's kind of got the right of it. She's not as smart as she thinks she is, and also Tyrion says that too. Those two people that seem to be smart and penetrating in their analysis. Yeah. All right, then we go to Theon, who is riding with his savior, the Mop Boy, uh, as they talk about how he came to be loyal to him and his family. Uh, Theon then talks about his father, um, how he didn't trust him to take Winterfell because he believed him to be loyal to the Starks, Mm -hmm. which causes Theon to reveal his remorse for killing the Stark boys and admit that his true family were always the Starks. He kind of comes full circle during this scene. Yeah. Uh, There's no way I'm a Stark. I would never be a Stark. Oh, my God, I'm a Stark. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And then this mop boy leads Theon into a room where he claims Yara awaits, but instead... He has him led right back to the torture chamber and turns him back over to his captors. And I was thinking of this mop boy, and now that we know that he's playing at least both sides, Mm -hmm. what a treasure trove of psychological information and actionable information. Yeah. This guy just confessed that the Starks are not dead, but they're actually in the wind. Mm -hmm. That's super valuable for, for multiple people in the realm. Uh, the his true loyalties, his deepest fears, his insecurities, like my God, the divisions in his family. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it's also interesting if I want to step back another level and say, I think like this kind of interrogation is the ones that actually bring fruit. Like there, there's not torture happening here. This is building common cause. And yeah. getting a person on your side and empathizing with them and letting them do the work for you. Mm-hmm. This is the con man at work. Right, the right. Man. Like, like you would never get, you might never get this stuff out of Theon if you just started, you know, peeling fingernails off and stuff. But he voluntarily mm-hmm. gives it up because he can't help it. It's, uh, it's interesting. It's, a, it's, it's, it's an interesting scene. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a ton more to say about it except, damn, what a mind fuck. Yeah. Uh, so there's more writing with Jamie and Brienne, and when they stop, Jamie wants to die. He's had enough, and Brienne shames him for giving up when he gets just the smallest taste of what the less fortunate have to deal with every day. And when he starts eating, she asks why he helped her, but he doesn't answer. Yep, that's her whole like. You sound like a bloody woman. It's like ah, uh, oh, the oppressed holding up the oppressor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, like it's like it's she 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 devastates him. Oh, yeah. you get it. One taste. Of the kind of real-world misfortunes that befall literally everyone but you, and mm-hmm. you're ready to give up and cry. Yeah. Like, it is it is pathetic, and it's not a good look. And, and it sinks in, and also, to Jamie's credit. like I, Yeah, it yeah, does. He, uh, he gets it. <laughs> and then uh, the dual question of, like, so why, you know, and why did you help me? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is Jamie trying to, I think, or maybe synthesizing, like, who he acts, like, he's... For, also for the first time, away from his family utterly. Right. Like, there's no one there to going to second guess or what, like, you know, what what kind of man did he want to be once upon a time? Mm-hmm. And what flashes? Like, which 
which is the mask and which is the real Jamie. Uh, and these scenes and the scenes that we'll be getting this throughout the season are going to kind of illuminate that for us. Mm-hmm. Then we move to Cersei asking her father if they're doing everything they can to get Jamie back. Uh, Tywin irritatedly assures her that he's doing what he can. However, she's also here to tell him that uh, Marjorie's dangerous because she's manipulating Joffrey. And Tywin, happy that someone has done it, uh, blames Cersei for not controlling him. And when Cersei suggests, oh, maybe you should try if you think it's so easy, he says, yeah, I'm going to. to he decides to prove her wrong. Yep. Uh, so it, without knowledge of the future happenings here, it it would seem like a good strategy to okay marjorie has her claws into joffrey mm-hmm. let's get some claws into marjorie right if you can if you can manipulate joffrey via marjorie you might have a chance at controlling joffrey right you know yeah um so like yeah co is it is, it seems like a smart strategy for tywin to pursue that avenue and also like why you know, you're his mother. Why couldn't you control this this boy or figure out a way? Like, it didn't have to be, like, you know, it's like you got displaced by Marjorie effortlessly because you never even made the attempt. Yeah. And, in fact, the person trying to bring the boy, like, you know, uh, I think Tyrion, aided and abetted by the small council, did their best to kind of keep Joffrey on a leash. They just didn't get any support. They were actively undermined right. by Cersei the entire time. Uh, and I feel like Tywin... Tywin knows that. Uh, and then, like, oh, the, it's just devastating when she's like, oh, you know, you never paid attention. Only your daughter was the one that's absorbing all your lessons, and I have this massive intellect. He's like, all right, contribute. And she says to Tyrell's our problem, his reaction is like, lol, what? Like, yeah. what do you, does, what do you, what, what do you propose to do about it? Like, that's, that's the other thing is like, it's easy to identify problems. Mm hmm solutions are what get you to you know like like when cersei was drinking herself into uh the pillage of of uh, king's landing last season anyone correct identify the problem which we're all fucked and we're going to like yeah sansa was the one that was looking forward to solution or trying to put the best face of it trying to be a leader uh yeah cersei shut down yeah tywin's not impressed that some that that someone's like hey oh we were in a bad spot and an ally bailed us out and now we're kind of like Having to bend, yeah, not a great spot for our family. What do we do about it? Yeah, I mean, Tywin's not even impressed by Tyrion, who was actively yes. saving this. He was in the process of saving the city. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he's certainly not going to be impressed by Cersei. Yeah. And the other thing I thought um, is interesting, like, if you're a, a person watching the show for the first time, and, you know, he answers the question, like, well, what did I do when Tyrion who I think is a waste of skin, was kidnapped. Yeah. I fucking went to war. What do you think I'm going to do for my firstborn and heir? Like, that should that should really be heavy in your mind if you're a fan because, mm-hmm. my God, what's what's worse than launching an all-out war uh, ca- uh, war campaign? Like, what what is a Tywin going to uncork later on? Right. Uh, it's, it's a little bit, like, and something, like, I, I kind of only noticed, like, the peril of this, like, when I was watching again. I'm like, wow. You know, that's like, what the hell? What the hell has he got up his sleeve? What is he planning? What are all those letters that he's writing all the time? Yeah. What's what's going on here? And I, I like the character of Tywin because he doesn't really spell it out for you. You know there's something going on behind the scenes. Right. You know that he's got plans in motion. Right. But he's not out there telling you what they are. Yeah. 
Like he, I mean, you know, that's Cersei, why I say Varys is like the second most patient person right, in Westeros because right. Tywin is just a monster of patience. And Tywin probably tell her to your face, like, "Hey, if you're so smart, tell me what my plan is." Yeah, you know, I've got the same knowledge that you do. It's like these are all these pieces, these are all these levers I'm pulling, mm-hmm. uh, and and numbers I'm moving around in the columns. So what what would you do? And she's got no answers. Yeah. Uh, so we go to Elena, who is completely over. A roses and B her house words. She she really just has this dim view of the house and she can't do anything to change it because she's not a man. Right. <laughs> the best she can do is is pull the strings behind the scenes. Right. Uh Varys visits to talk about her interest in Sansa's well being, and he tells her that Littlefinger is planning to take the north by way of Sansa and that he has a plan to stop him. Uh, I don't have much to add except for I love the line where she just... This is the best line in the episode. Yeah, she did the, like, what happens when the non-existent bumps against a decrepit? Uh, I love and, it. And so she's good. also, like, so kind of disrespectful and dismissive of Varys, but also taking mm-hmm. him seriously. Like, when he's like, may I have a seat? And he goes, when she opens her mouth, he goes to sit because it's like, who's going to tell him no? And she's like, no. No. Uh, if you want to contribute, contribute. I want to see what you got. Yeah. Um... But yeah, and in Varys' opinion, that Littlefinger is the type of guy who would burn the realm if he could rule over the ashes. Uh, I agree with that. No, she she's very. I don't know if disarming is the right word. She she gets you off your footing, right? With with both her candor, uh, her you know lack of propriety in many right. cases. And she talks uh, all those things. Yeah, you, you get you might be quick to take offense at the shit she's talking about you, but then like her next words, she runs her own house down. Yeah, and talks about how incompetent they all are. Mm-hmm. She's just like, yeah, she's a misanthrope. She just she she she's equal opportunity hater of everybody. Everyone's a fucking dumbass in her eyes, and she's lived long enough to see that <laughs> prophecy become true. Yeah. Um. But yeah, what what is the plan? We don't have to wait long. Mm-hmm. It's. I think the next scene here, exactly. Marjorie visits Sansa, <laughs> tells her a story of how she was uh, jealous of her friend who then grew up to marry someone, let's say, less important than the king of Westeros. Uh, it ingratiates her to Sansa, who agrees to be her friend. Oh, yeah, and also her sister by way of marriage to her brother Loras. Uh, I, I don't know if this, yeah, that'd be cool, is binding mm-hmm. uh, legally, but it's certainly, uh-huh. like, first and foremost on Sansa's mind now. It's... Hilarious, and I know Sansa is a young girl, mm-hmm. right? In in this story, she is not experienced. She's very naive, but oh my god, the just the blatant bald face manipulation here. It's it's crazy to me that Sansa just goes with it, and it's also heartbreaking because like there's a moment of genuine joy that breaks out on Sansa's face that I don't know that I've seen since she found out that like her and Joffrey are to be betrothed in season right. one, yeah. and even then there was like a bratty shitty but dead but are you kind of like you know marsha 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 quality to it and this is just like you know it's not it's not often that sophie turner gets to show this emotion and mm-hmm. it's 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 nice but it's also sad because at the root of this that's something i was trying to figure out like does marjorie really care about sansa like, does she feel some good that like uh you know i'm helping this girl out and like i'm or is this just like this is just a machination like i have been given my orders for my grandmother to throw a monkey wrench in the cogs of Littlefinger, and i'm doing it um, it's hard to know with her like we talked about it with right. the orphans right She's such when a she, cipher when she goes to visit the people in the streets of king's landing is she doing that because she loves it or is she doing that because 
it's part of her grand strategy. Right. And that goes back like philosophically like what is altruism? Is any right. is is it is ever any of it entirely like cuz you do get pleasure from doing good and recognition of doing good and seeing positive right. feelings from other people. So is anything truly altruistic? <laughs> Here's what I think is interesting. I think this this scene is the combination of both Varys and Olena. Um, and the result of it, because if you if you look back at last episode, I think it was Shay sitting on the dock with Sansa. Shay very unwilling to play the game with Sansa, right? To tell these childish stories uh, about these people, and then you see Roz come up to Shay, and they talk, and you see Roz talk to Varys, and Varys mm-hmm. talk to Olena. Olena sends in Marjorie, and I feel like she's equipped with the knowledge that Sansa loves the, to play these games, right? Tell right. these stories. And that's how she's she's using that to ingratiate herself with Sansa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then to get her to marry her brother, apparently. It's uh, a I'll, big step. Big ask. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's also a really cool world-building detail um, that you, you find Sansa praying at this sad little godswood. It's literally just a, a an ancient stump of a uh-huh. weirwood tree because... In the South, all the the wood the the weirwoods were were cut down in uh, the Civil War between the First Men and and the the Children of the Forest, and uh, and then the Andals finished a job that they they, they didn't later on, uh, and it's kind of cool because in ancient times this was a place where you could worship the old gods, and now mm-hmm. it's it's kind of. It, it's that it's cool for that, and also like it's kind of representative of the Starks. You know, they've yeah. been literally beheaded, and you know, what is their legacy? Is it just going to be this stump that that is going to be forgotten over time? Like, when's the last? Mm-hmm. Who's the last person that prayed at this Godswood? That's the other thing I, I sometimes wonder. Uh, Ned, maybe Ned was down there. I don't think Ned had. Maybe if Ned had, had become the king, that he had been down yeah. here all the time. Like Jesus Christ, what am I going to do about Bobby? <laughs> oh my God, his like whore budget is out of control. Yeah. Like maybe, but I don't Cat- think he Catelyn? had. I don't, Catelyn, when she showed nah, up, maybe she's, she's faith of seven. Ned built a oh, sept up right. in Winterfell okay. just for her. It's right. like the reverse. Right. She's got this sad little wood carved <laughs> mother and crone and maiden, and you know probably doesn't even look right. Maybe, maybe Ned, if he had survived, would have come back from King's Landing and said, you know, we need to upgrade that for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, I've seen what a, a sad little altar can do right. uh, to your spirit. We're right. going to fix yours up. Like, if Bobby spends 20,000 gold on his wine, I can I can get you some gold-plated <laughs> sevens up here. <laughs> right. Get, 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 a, get, a, get a septon up here to bless this thing or something. I don't know. Yeah. All right, we go on to Gior giving a speech about one of their dead brothers. Uh, this is... The namesake of the episode, uh, while his body's burning on a pyre, uh, Rast blamed Craster for starving the, that that brother to death, uh, and then Sam tries to defend him, and by extension the wildlings. I think uh, inside Craster suggests that they kill the wounded brothers and head home, or they can just leave him there and he'll do it himself. And some of the brothers take exception with that, and they start a fight, which ends with Craster and Gior both dead, full on chaos in the camp, and Sam, Gilly, and her son on the run. Yeah, uh, the the whole man. There's this great scene because like I like uh, Dol- Dolores Ed's obs- observation that who knew Bannon could smell so good? Because mm. I that must be a mind fuck. Like if you're that hungry and that cold, and yeah. there's a, a corpse burning that's also meat, uh-huh. uh huh, and it's smelling like a, a a barbecue. Like what? Oh man, what 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 must that feel like? Uh, and it kind of shows, yeah. like, are these... I mean, I think Rass is an asshole. This Carl looks like a real asshole. But, you know, Craster's not doing himself any favors. 
No, I, it's it's a muddy issue here. Yeah. You know, I, the brothers are up there starving. Right. Uh, their tensions are running high. And when Gior, like you said, maybe burns a good source of food here, mm-hmm. if they were just willing to do some things that are unsavory, yeah. uh, I think that kind of pushes them over the edge. Yeah, and especially, I didn't even think of that, like, you know, what's a little bit of light can't... If you're going to overlook this guy offering his sons to these monsters... Right. What's a little bit of light cannibalism to survive? Yeah. You know, the fact that... And look, if you're in a plane crash and you can do it. Right. You right. can do it up here at Craster's. Uh, but Craster, you know, we've talked about this, how he doesn't really understand the situation. Maybe he's drunk, maybe he's overconfident in Jor's ability to maintain control, but when you <laughs> are essentially just a shit human being relying on the morals and ethics of better men mm-hmm. and you taunt them with that and you're outnumbered 50 to 1 maybe maybe not talk so much <laughs> shit uh you know may, maybe yeah. not be eating a, a leg of lamb right in front of them uh like if this guy I don't know. I don't know what this guy, what what kind of guy, because if he if he's the kind of guy that would be generous and and like have a decent head on his shoulders, he probably wouldn't survive in this particular world because you have mm-hmm. to be hard. And he's got this arrangement with the White Walkers and all that. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but uh, I do love that line when you know he's he's telling them, "Hey, you can kill them and leave and and save yourselves, or you can leave them here with me and I'll do the job." And then he takes that big bite out of that leg of whatever chicken leg yeah. hogs leg i don't know yeah uh one of his I, I wives the that implica- died, <laughs> right. died in the, of the fall uh well yeah sure i think the implication there is that he could use the food uh-huh if you just want to leave the, your wounded here i will take care of them, i don't know if you know what crow, i mean but i bet his wives would yeah because and and uh and they wouldn't get a choice but yeah. uh I, 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 the, the quiet escalation that Carl does, like when Jior is throwing Rast <laughs> out to take the time to, like, not only are you a bastard, you're a daughter fucking wildling bastard. Mm. Uh, and then the bear getting stabbed, but then you think he's going to be able to throttle Rast to death up until yeah. he starts coughing up blood. It's, and then you see, like, outside as Sam's runs together, uh, just a massive melee happening where it's brother versus brother. Mm-hmm. Um, also, religious note. Uh, you hear the bear screaming about in the background, but this is the guest right is something that's observed throughout Westeros, but it's also particularly sacred um, uh, in the north because it, it's uh, something that it's, it's it's more about the old gods than the new. And uh, this is a massive violation of guest right to murder a man who's who's sheltered you and given you spread <laughs> and salt. That's what it requires uh, to do that. And, like, you can hear George screaming about, we'll be damned by the gods and no man will, no one will forgive us for this. Like, he's not, this is a this is the big taboo in Westeros that mm-hmm. they're violating here. Uh, so I just want to point that out. Uh, then we go to Thoros and company taking Arya, Gendry, and the Hound to their camp, which is a cave somewhere in the woods. Uh, there they meet Beric Dondarrion and his militia, who are tasked with killing the mountain for his crimes, uh, which all these crimes are pinning on the Hound as well, and he claims he had nothing to do with it, but he can't really deny Arya's accusation of killing the Butcher's Boy. He did that, uh, and they decide to give him a trial by combat against Beric himself. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the scene. Uh, it's great. It's, it's great because, um, you know, the... The Hound likes to see himself as different from his brother. Yeah. And I do think there is a difference there. 
Uh, but but he can't answer Arya's charge. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the Nazis didn't get away with, like, oh, we're just following orders. I'd slaughter right. that boy just because someone told him to, the, you know, t- someone told me to. Uh, and you can kind of, the way uh, Rory plays it, like, you can kind of see that the Hound, like, has kind of got a moment of doubt here, too. Like, he's not, like, he he's very righteous and forceful with, like, you can slit my throat if you want, but don't think you're not murderers, because I'm not my brother, and I'm not, oh, it's a crime to be a Clegane, and... Right, but he just got—he can't really say anything to Arya. Mm-hmm. Uh, so interesting trial by combat. Uh, boy, Beric looks like a grizzled badass in this scene. He does, but I, he doesn't look like he could take the Hound. I'll say that. No, that's the interesting thing. When there's a trial by combat, you can almost see like the Hound. Like I know <laughs> for a goddamn fact, I could take any six of you single combat. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break you in half. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but there's a gleam in the barracks eye. I think he, I think he, he, <laughs> he, he, he thinks he can take him. He's he's full of the Lord of the Lights glory or whatever. Yeah, if I if I were you know the size of the Hound or the Mountain, let's say, or as skilled a warrior as Jamie, I'd be all for this tradition of combat yeah. by uh, trial by combat. Yeah, because who's going to take you? Right. No one. No, I mean, it's like if you are the Clegane brothers or Jamie, it's, it's essentially I will never be charged with a jail free card. <laughs> right, right. For sure. Uh, I also, I thought, man, the brothers, the Brotherhood story is so cool. Like they were the, the last righteous order ever issued from the Iron Throne. Mm-hmm. Ned saying, go forth and bring Greg, uh, Gregor Clegane to justice. These guys are still out doing it and taking deserters from both armies and essentially like, fuck the two sides of the war uh if you pillage a farmer's land or if you you know rape women we are going to we're going to kill you they're batman yeah they are Except they're, they're vigilantes yeah. yeah they're all they're all they're all uh rough riders uh they're like uh, they're more like i guess darkwing duck you know i <laughs> the whatever they're the terror that flaps, flaps in the night, in the night. Sure. uh yeah. yeah they're they're gonna sneak up on you they're gonna get you wherever you are um, but no, that's good. There's a lot of really dense like history here that like you know the fact that the house Clegane is built on dead children. Uh, mm-hmm. Talking about that's the uh, you know the the rumor that Gregor Clegane's uh, raped the princess and 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 killed their her babies with his bare hands, mm-hmm. um, splattered the brains all over her mother. Like there, it's some dark shit that they're talking about here. This is like the the when you hear about the sack of King's Landing that Jorah was talking about last week. This is the shit they're talking about. He got grim. Yeah. There was really nothing to stop the, the, the bloodshed and violence. All right, we move on to the final scene here where Danny turns up to take ownership of her new troops, the Unsullied, and she hands over the dragon. The slave master hands over control of the Unsullied, and once done, Danny reveals, oh, I spoke Valerian the whole time uh, while you were insulting me and demeaning me. And she uses the Unsullied to kill the slave masters, take back her dragon, and free every slave in the city. Finally, she turns to the Unsullied and frees them, but invites any who would fight for her uh, of their own will to do so. And they all agree. Mm-hmm. So she's got her army free of moral and ethical charge. Right. It's funny because, like, I can't see the scene of Danny like, doing that slow turn back to look over her head uh, while Drogon is setting the battlement and fire behind her without the, like, 16-bit sunglasses coming over her eyes. <laughs> yeah. Because that was, like, that. that's one of the gifts that came out of this episode, the whole, like, you know, <laughs> deal with it. Uh, I just, I just, I just beat you at your own slaving game. Deal with it. Uh, this this is, is just an amazing scene. It really is. I mean, the 
the righteous indignation from Danny right. when she she reveals during the reveal that I spoke right. Valyrian all along. This was my plan, and now you're going to die. Which is funny because like when I was when I was watching the second time and taking my notes, I'm like, who cares? Like this guy called you a whore mm-hmm. and said you had saggy tits or whatever. He's also literally the worst person presiding over this god awful thing that turns boys into soulless automatons and kills mothers at their or kills babies at their mother's breasts. Like, yeah. The, the the added reveal and oh yeah, I also heard all that shit you were talking, dude. <laughs> like so, like you you you're you're dead within your rights to the the Dracarys this guy based on his actions, you know. But like that's like that is the like oh badass part, right? I mean, it is. Yeah, it's it's Cartman making you eat your parents in the chili, like <laughs> and licking your t- yeah yeah it, right and licking your tears. It's it's this was my plan and right. you fell for it right. and and yeah, you're yeah, going to yeah. know that in the moment that you die and yes i'm getting justice in a, in a, in like a societal scale but also it's personal motherfucker <laughs> right i heard what you said about me absolutely my tits are not saggy and i am not a whore <laughs> like yeah yeah uh, it's it's pretty funny but there's a lot of like we we talked about the you know the 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 Jorah staggering through to smoke, but I really liked the image of the Unsullied trotting over their whip of oppression yes. as mm-hmm. they're coming out of the the gate of the city. I love how like Jorah and uh, Barristan got religion at the exact same same time as they realized that she's instantly transforming <laughs> the slave army into a free one. Yeah, and like she's like squaring the circle of of the practical and the pragmatic versus the aspirational. Um, pretty good. Yeah, she was three steps ahead of everybody, including her own people here. Yeah, uh, including her advisors. It. I will say that as cool as the scene is, it does feel like why in the world has no one ever tried to use this loophole before? Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that you can just like, hey, I'll take all your insulin. Offer. I, I think. Hmm. I think because look, any anybody who has enough money to come in and buy all the unsullied. Yeah probably doesn't need them to try and take your city if they wanted to yeah uh she just happens to have this thing that is incredibly valuable yeah the dragon that she can trade for it yeah it's almost like she used their own greed and appetite right and the fact that like i'm sure astapor is like oh wait till the other slave cities get Mm -hmm. a hold of this we got a fucking dragon you know and that's the other thing you got to understand is like this is called slaver's bay there's tons of slave towns kind of running the same racket uh, mm-hmm. And you know, is eight thousand unsullied going to be enough to withstand the ret- you know? Because like I don't, I don't think they're gonna they're gonna take this line down. Like she yeah. is, yeah. she's kick. It'd be like you know, I don't know if a single person went in at the height of this, the this, of slavery in the South and like burnt Atlanta, Georgia to the ground. Uh-huh. Like unless you had a, a real army and logistics and all that behind you, uh, what would that actually do? I'm thinking about like. Uh... You know the the communism scare here in America, yeah. right? Like yeah. that's capitalism fighting back right. against communism, right? Like right. that's yeah. they see this small nugget of a threat yeah. coming in, and they've got to squash it. Because yeah, they, like there's the slaves far outnumber their ma- the masters. So yeah. like if they ever just realize like, hey, <laughs> you know, and and were emboldened and saw that there was actually something to rally around, that's you know mm-hmm. that's you know slave rebellions. Are always like brutally repressed and, and and put down because like you can't let them get the ideas that oh you you know you you might be able to be free um, right it's yeah it's it's uh it's great and like you know I, I talked about how like they 
they did maybe go over a little bit overboard how grim dark this whole thing in Astapor is like just every opportunity to make these masters the worst type mm. of people but it all pays off here because there's almost no atrocity Danny could commit against them yeah. that you would be like whoa 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 let's let's uh, you know a cooler head should prevail here it's just ultimately righteous <laughs> right. nobody points out how dishonest Danny was in this right, scene right? right she should honor her deals yeah yeah no <laughs> what kind of contract is this we actually uh, yeah we actually do have feedback <laughs> oh, on fuck that me okay <laughs> <laughs> there are people that do all right well maybe we should get to that because that's the end of the episode yeah all right now now as you as you are well aware it's time for me to pitch the club club.baldmove.com and you're clearly a patient man or woman if you've been listening to our podcast for all these times and you haven't you you haven't uh, picked up the club much like Varus perhaps mm-hmm. you're waiting for some musty box from far away far away far away lands to show up in your office and you you open it with delight fiendish delight to see what's inside well I'll tell you I'll tell you what's inside uh, I don't have to tell you. You can go to club.baldmove.com to see what's inside, to reward your patience for, for, for stringing us along this this time. You go to club.baldmove.com. You can preview features like uh, ad-free feeds. Well, you don't get to preview that. We pretty much tell you they're ad-free feeds. You can get them. Uh, there's quips. There's lunch with the gym and Aaron. There's video versions of the podcast. The fastest way you can get them. I mean, you can't, you can't get a podcast faster than watching people record it live. That's, That's just true. a fact. That is a fact. That is a stone-cold fact. Like, if you throw a young boy's balls and dick into a fire, <laughs> green... Sh- Green fire shoots out blue fire. Oh, man. It was green in the books. You're distorting facts. It was green in the books. That's not Uh, true. Okay. Uh, Blue fire shoots out and demonic voices come out. That's a fact. That's a fact. It's a fact that you can get ad-free feeds and and a bunch of cool stuff at club.baldmove.com. Check it out and free 30-day trial just for signing up. Club.baldmove.com. Uh, feedback, of course, you can send to Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. I said this would be a supersized mailbag, and it is, but it was too supersized for me to get everything processed. I actually, mm-hmm. um, a couple people wanted me to opine on some theories and stuff that I had to, like, gold star in my email boxes. I just didn't have, I, I had time to compile, but I didn't have time to research at all. Mm-hmm. So some of this stuff I'm going to, if you didn't get your, especially if it's, like, a detailed kind of lore or, like, what do you think about this theory or that theory, um, I, I, I had to punt to next week. So I'll try to get around to all that next week. Uh, without further ado, again, Game of Thrones at BaldMove.com, forums.baldmove.com for a spoiler thread. Uh, Louis C., just wondering, whenever the next book or two come out, which is likely at least a year after the show ends, would you guys consider doing a podcast on the books? Like, read a couple chapters every week and then comment on them. The idea of a book club podcast for Winds of Winter and Dream of Spe- Stream. <laughs> Dream of Spring. What do you think, Jim? That's hard for me to do because I haven't read any of the books. Yeah. So I would have to probably read five big-ass books to get to six and seven. Well, what? Because like, at this point, the series would be over. Because mm-hmm. I, I would like to find a way to do that. Like, I, and I, 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 I don't think I'd do a, a couple ch- – I'd like to take the book in, like, big chunks. Like mm-hmm. – a third of the book at a time, like the first 400 pages, next 400 pages, next 400 pages, and you know we'll be done. Um, because I just don't think the people like the that like you know most people are going to read the book in less than 24 hours and want to talk about it. Right. So you stretch that out that long, and I just you know there'll be other there'll there'll be a lot of other podcasters doing that. But I'd like to do, and it's not even the next books like uh, Martin's coming out this November with um, Fire and Blood, which is this mm. this Targaryen history that I'm really interested to see if it sheds any light on on things. Um, I would like to do that. Like maybe 
maybe you can just sit in because like this will like especially the next book should just be alternate history versions right. of what we've already seen and we can kind of compare and contrast sure so i don't think you'd you I, know. I think i'd be i'd be good to do to do that right um with just reading like book six and seven the Tar- targaryen history might be a big ask because i don't know that yeah. you're that interested in it i might i might find one of my fellow podcasters that would like to do something like that with me and i don't know that the there's all that much about the Targaryen history in the show. Like, there's a bit, right. but I'm sure that book is going to go way deep. Right. I, I Yeah, I just, like, I don't know why Martin's doing that. Like, it's a cool idea, but it does seem like maybe it's, it's either a way for him to keep the publisher at bay. Like, hey, I'll make a couple million dollars while <laughs> i am got my massive brain cramp and, and, and I got this giant writer's block. I don't know, but, mm-hmm. boy, when it was announced... People are like, are you fucking kidding me? You're writing fan fiction in your own universe without completing the, the actual narrative? What the hell? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, to, to directly answer your question, Lewis, I would look, uh, if, uh, if any time a book like that's released, I would I would go, I would definitely check the Bald Move feed because I bet there's going to be some information on it. Uh, Sean McGee. In the previous on for this episode, Thoros has heard to say the lords of Westeros want to burn the countryside that we're trying to save. Why would a red priest use such imagery when fire is usually portrayed as purifying and not a catastrophe? Jim, that's what do you, a, that's what, a what damn fine question. What do you think? Uh, I'm not sure they thought about it deeply enough. I don't know. Because I would tend to agree with the emailer. I think that religious imagery... Like, I, I don't know all of the world's religions, how to feel about it, but like, let's, say the, let's take the cross, right? Uh, that's a symbol of Christianity. Is every use of that symbol uh, something that would be divine? Like mm-hmm. the like if you take a mason jar filled with piss, for example, and yeah. throw a crucifix in it, is that divine? Like that's profane, right? Mm-hmm. I think you can profane, uh, and, and and I'm I'm this is uh, this is just me as someone who's thought a lot about the subject. There's not like an like there's clearly not a chapter and verse from the Lord of Light Volume Three that you can you can cite here. But I think that just because something is holy does not mean it can't be profaned. And, like, you know, burning, uh, like, like, like in their eyes, infidels burning innocent for no, that they have no communion with the Lord of Light, so they're not sure of his will would be that kind of profane. Like, I, I think they would be very against it. Hmm. You know, um, okay. it, it'd be a desecration of what they think is something holy and a mockery of it. That's that's what I would I would get because like yeah like otherwise like every time like you get a, you get a fire to cook a side of uh, like a side of bacon is that a holy ritual? I mean, if you smoke could a bowl be. of herb out of your weirwood mm-hmm. pipe, is that you know like is, is that like communing with? The, actually, that is communing with the gods it straight is. up. Yeah. I've done it. Super recommend it. Uh, but like yeah, I, I, that's 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 my answer there, Sean. I hope yep. it's satisfying. Or you know, from a, a less I guess. Uh, educated point of view you could say it's just a colloquialism like you know setting fire to something means destroying it uh to the people of westeros outside of that religion so he's just using it colloquially no i I would it's all about context i would imagine that a red priest would be like the people that were burnt alive innocent are probably welcome into the lord of light's arms right right. their heaven but the people they're doing it are like super damned Mm. maybe (laughs) but they're gonna get there huh but then what if you burn someone who's burned someone else and isn't a follower of valor i think that's like because like you know our our former religion the jehovah's witness had the doctrine that like if you die pre day of judgment that mm-hmm. that because the the bible says the wages of sin are death so if you die regardless of what kind of shit person you are 
you're going to get some sort of resurrection and judgment. Now, it might just be yeah. instant, like, oh, whoa, this is Hitler. Yeah. Uh, Lake of Fire. <laughs> don't, don't need much review on this, but like a yeah, lot of. That day you get to go home early. <laughs> exactly. So it's like you're, you're, you're essentially tabs paid. Um, I, I think that like they would probably feel that way too. That like mm-hmm. even if you're evil, if you got, if you, if you die by fire, you know, maybe there's a second judgment. I don't know. Because again, as cool as the world building is, uh, as a person who's like studied this and written a lot of words on it lately, there are a lot of frustrating gaps, which mm-hmm. is where Anthony and I's book kind of, I feel like this podcast turned into an ad for a book, book.baldmove.com. Uh, Anthony and I have kind of like, you know, tried to use the real world religions to, to give us glimpses into what some of this, this fine, fine detail might be. Anyway, uh, Victoria, you mentioned in your last podcast that the walk of punishment was unusually funny. My boyfriend and I had the same reaction when watching the episode. I love awkward silences and coughs at Edmure's poor aim, etc. Oh, wait, not etc. Uh, Tyrion uh, dragging the chair to small council, Arya and Gindry's reactions to Hot Pie's wolf bread, and everything about Pod and his magical rod. Because this episode feels so different than ours, I looked it up to see who directed it, and a quick wiki, wiki search confirmed that the director as David Benioff. Uh, the Walk of Punishment is his one and only Game of Thrones episode that he's credited with as director. Huh. I love watching Game of Thrones for so many reasons, but it's awesome to have the freedom to appreciate the subtle differences between episodes and consider why a director might put his or her spin on that episode. My question for you is how do you feel about one cohesive narrative being created by different personalities? Do you think it usually works out well for Game of Thrones, or how has it been a barrier? Uh, I've certainly seen it go wrong. Mm-hmm. But I think it's gone mostly right with Game of Thrones. I don't think there are many episodes I would point to and say that feels wrong as a Game of Thrones episode. Right, right. And I think that's that's uh, a lot of the responsibility of the showrunner yeah. and the executive producers is to find, like, we have a set quantity of work. Let's find the best person for that job. Mm-hmm. You know, we got, like... Um, uh, I've, I've, my mind's blank on the guy who did Hard, Hard Home. I just literally had it. Uh, Sapochnik. Yeah, we got yeah, action. We let's get Michelle McLaren on the phone. Let's get Miguel mm-hmm. Sapochnik on the phone. Uh, we got something that's like you know a, a deep character dive. Let's get this other person on the phone. Uh, you know something that's filmed at night. Like this person's really good at at, at low light. I, I feel like that that's like their big job is to like take all this work and give it to the very best people that they can find. Um, and, and to also shape the voice of the show and yeah. may, maybe bring. Like, help people help the writers fully understand what their vision for the show is yeah and if that is you know both funny and a thriller and right. uh high fantasy like those kinds of things it's it's their job to not only give the most appropriate person the work but also to help the people who maybe don't have the exact same vision to get on board with the vision as a yeah. whole and I think the Double Ds are real fans of comedy. Um, yeah, they, they, they famously they, did wrote a spec script, and I guess for it's got, always sunny got an episode made. I think of they've, it's they've always had sunny. two now. They've, they've had written, two. They've written okay. two episodes for Always Sunny. They yeah. did a commentary track for season three of uh, Rick and Morty. Right. Where they're gushing about like I feel like that's. Uh, I wouldn't say uh, the frustrated writer and then in him coming out or the director in him coming out, but mm-hmm. like they clearly have that muscle that doesn't get to be used very often. Yeah. So like if Benioff gets a chance to write an episode, like really playing up that aspect, I think was probably probably satisfying for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike McGee, last of the non-spoiler emails. The closing scene where Daenerys spies the Unsullied is undoubtedly badass and one of the most iconic of the series, but it left me with a bad taste in my mouth. 
I think mm. the Masters got what they deserved, but if you were Jorah or Selmy, would you have qualms about negotiating with her in good faith after she basically screwed the guy? Oh, boy. The Masters sold Danny's the Unsullied. Danny's so dishon- dishonest, Danny. Fucking yeah. yeah. The, Maester, the Masters sold the Unsullied for the negotiated price, but she kills him after obtaining the whip. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, no. If you put, like, look, put yourself in Jorah and Selmy's headspace. They don't give a shit about contract. Like, they're warriors. They they probably mm-hmm. look down at that kind of bean counting, and they both found this intensely distasteful. Yeah. The fact that she fooled these guys with their greed and arrogance and their dismissal of her as a woman, and then, I mean, like, I, I think they see this as a purely righteous action. Like... And I, I don't know. Like, I guess that's how I kind of roll, too. Like, I don't think there you can commit crimes against a tyrant. Mm-hmm. Like, if you had a ch- chance to fool Hitler in a game of three-card Monty that would have ended World War II four years earlier and you didn't take it, you're an asshole. Mm-hmm. If you could defraud – if you could – if you could – you know, defraud him in some kind of tax scheme. If you could, like, like what what could you not do to bring down Hitler that uh, would be like, whoa, 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 I don't know. I don't know if it's worth the stain on your soul that you did. That's what I think. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I don't... I think that, if anything, they will have more respect for her as as a leader. Right. And, and then the other thing is, I guess I'd have to ask, like, I don't believe that the Masters and Astapor have always you know, dealt fairly with their clientele. There's sure, yeah. no fucking way a person this evil and unscrupulous and utterly devoid in empathy would not take advantage of any. And the, the fact that they were blinded to the obvious con here mm-hmm. because she's a woman and she's young and she's naive and they think she has the Oprah hand and they just like naked greed for power. Like, yeah, I... I I, I, I there might be a someone out there because like there always is and Mike you were the one in this mailbag would be like I don't know how this sits with me but like Jorah and uh-huh. Selmy no fucking way no this is fine with or, me is, is that is that described them if I'm Jorah or Selmy in that situation I'm coming out of this going well played yes indeed uh, and that's all for the non spoiler feedback again Game of Thrones at baldmove dot com and again I do realize that I uh, you know I, I didn't get around to everything there was a couple for like. You know, especially 304 stuff that came in the, the last day that I didn't have a chance. But, like, uh, don't be surprised if it comes up next week because uh, I marked all the ones I didn't get to. Uh, now we're for, for the spoiler section. So if you have not caught up on the books or the show at this point, uh, season three, uh, book three, uh, you should probably shut it off now. Actually, no. You just need if – you, if you're not caught up, period, because we talk about everything this is, this is in, in the spoiler Yeah, you've got to be up on season seven. Season yeah. seven of Game of Thrones and have read all the books because mm-hmm. if, if, if you're super spoiler-phobe uh, to, to stay away from that. Yeah, it's made in 2018. Come on. Yes. What do you want? Let's get on with it. Uh, Theon torture count. I'm, I'm kicking it up another notch because yeah. I do believe that uh, this could be construed as torture. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's emotional torture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Psychological uh, torture. Yeah, and also being constrained to uh, to some kind of weird inverted or sideways cruci- crucifix is, is torture alone. You know, like just mm-hmm. being strapped to that thing, especially just being suffering on her that that'd be a form of torture but sean mcgee has a finer point question about the way we're uh counting torture because i feel like you guys are doing the torture count all wrong this is because you forget why you're doing it by counting the false escape you are counting as torture things the character of theon will eventually see as torture 
This is totally fine if you're trying to measure something about the character development of Theon, but the reason why you're counting it is because the audience complained about the gratuitous violence of the torture. Even more specifically, people complained about the purient nature of the violence, calling it torture porn. Watching a person fooled into thinking he can escape and get almost raped, I think, does not fit into the category. What do you think, Jim? So is he suggesting that we watch it and and judge it as if this was the first time we'd seen it? Because I would, I guess I would agree that last episode was not torture if, well, <laughs> if you have only seen it once, right? Because you don't know the end goal here. You don't know the, the ruse. But I feel like it's also curiously lacking the aspect of the audience becoming aware of the torture and then mm-hmm. looking back at the relatively uptick in Theon's circumstances. Like it's, That's what I mean, yeah. He's being tortured. We're being tortured along with him. It's the difference between first viewing and second viewing. Right. First viewing in the moment, I don't know this is torture until it's revealed the mop boy Ramsey has taken him. But then looking back, back, you'd be like, oh, that stuff that I started to feel right. good about Theon is now like extra bad. Exactly. And that feeds into the wariness. Like, here's the thing. Uh, we're four episodes in. We got four tortures. I think it's starting to become obvious that maybe, and I don't know. Like we can still debate about whether they had to make this point because you know some people in the mailbag were starting to make that like, well, you know, you got to just really convince people that Ramsey's a bad guy and Theon's broken. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone's questioning that 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 is the story that they had to tell. I I, I think the real question is at what point does the story. Is, is the story requirement satisfied and it's more about the showrunners kind of liking this dark heart kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. You know, like, let's say, like, for example, like, if Eli, Eli Roth were showrunning the show, he might have twice as much torture. He would, yeah. Is, and it would be twice as graphic mm-hmm. and fucked up. It, would that better serve the story? Like, at what point is... Sure. And, and I think that's that, that question is obviously... I just used the Eli Roth. Like, Eli Roth might be like, I don't know. I think they really soft-pedaled this Ramsey business. It's different from everybody, but... Yeah. If Steven Spielberg were directing sure. this, uh, the torture would be very, very different. Right, right. They they would take out the... It, they, it just... I'm just seeing like them replacing the knives and stuff with like walkie talkies. Yeah, the corkscrew and, and just a walkie talkie yeah. that they're screwing into his foot. Yeah. Uh, Ooh, that antenna's so stiff. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god he's turning yeah, he's squelching on oh, the static the static um right. I, it, but i think if you're a showrunner you kind of got to write the stuff on a bell curve and see that like you know for 80 percent of the audience if they're saying they're fatigued and feeling turned off and like withdrawing from your story rather than being pulled in mm-hmm. or like you know then then you're not doing the job and i i don't the know the trouble is you don't get a second chance at this right you get right. the one shot and all the episodes are released and the right. audience goes oh that was too much right Oh, it's already over. And I can see where, you know, reasonable people can disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think I think I feel like I'm counting it right. Um, me, you, because I'm, I'm – you're right. Theon is not seeing it at the time, but he'll look back on it to his torture and so will the audience. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm counting it the way it is. Um, but, yeah, if people feel strongly about it other ways, then I'll probably still keep counting the way I want to count it because it's, it's uh, at least half of my podcast and Jim doesn't seem to disagree. So that's how it goes. Uh, I wanted to talk about some points. Um, what if Tywin? What if Tywin doesn't die? Does he successfully bring Joff to heel? I... Oh, let me ask you Man. this: <laughs> Who is the? So this is the question about Varys. Like, you know, who's the power? Who's the real power? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe 
the Kingsguard would be ultimately loyal to to Joffrey if we see if we if we if they take their vows seriously. Doesn't doesn't Joffrey die before Tywin does? He does. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so I should say both of them survive. I, there is no purple wedding. Okay. okay. There is no. Because I, I remember him educating Tommen in yes. a couple of scenes. And yes. Yes. That was way after Joffrey's dead. Tommen had been much more malleable and much better king. In my right. Opinion. Right. So I feel like Tywin got a shot. Yeah. And he just never accomplished it. I didn't think he had time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I I, I think because I, because I, I think that like all of the how the Lannister household guards, which seem to be doing a lot of gold cloak type duties, and all the gold cloaks, they're going to be loyal to the people paying them. And to the you know the the patriarch of the house, so like I don't think Joff would have any allies if he defied Tywin. So I think he yeah. absolutely would break. And I, I I think Tywin would sh- like shove him off a fucking castle wall if he had to. He might yeah. because hey, Tommen, better looking, not a complete shit. Mm-hmm. You know, oh boohoo, let's ring the bells. King Joffrey's dead. Long live King Joffrey. King Tommen though. Uh, yeah, and I look at where they were in the last moments of Joffrey's life. Right. Nothing had gotten better. Tywin had had a good amount of time to try and bring this kid around, and he had not succeeded in any way. Yeah, I don't know. I also Joffrey seemed afraid of Tywin. The other thing I think he does, Tywin, but he but he still didn't have control over him. But I'm saying like, like you, look at that wedding. But does Tywin just like let that? Like I think I think that yes. Um, you know, Tywin had let things go, and he had a reasonable amount of time. But I, I guess what I'm saying is, if he couldn't bring the boy king to heal, I think I think Tywin would have killed Joffrey. Because here's what I think he Tywin would see: is like, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not in, foresee that Tyrion's going to kill me in my 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 shit chambers. But <laughs> I, I'm an old man in a medieval world, and you know, I could die at any time. Like, what do I? What's going to do to my dynasty uh-huh. if I let this crazy person? You know, I, I like I got to be able to mold the next generation to where it's going to kind of roll or I'm not going to let this 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 idiot undo all my work. Yeah. So I don't know. I think he would have been able to do it. Uh, we already talked about the kind of like the politics of Sansa in the non-spoiler podcast. Like, you know, like how much of this was like altruism, how much of it was politics. Uh, so maybe I, I maybe we don't. I mean, I, I don't think that we get any more insight into it. Like I think Olena is pure politics. Marjorie, I don't know. I think she could take it or leave it. Take or leave the politics? No, like or the, the fact that she, like yes, exactly. Okay, yeah, like yeah. I think she would like enjoy the fact that she could make this person happy and all that. But like, yeah. yeah. Uh, we also talked. I, I I talked about the massive violation of guest right, and mm-hmm. I didn't realize this when the first time I was watching this is how like this is such a Chekhov's type of situation, mm-hmm. um, and it's very played low key because it's just a Jor screaming about in the background, but. This is a foreshadowing of the massive violation of guest right that we're going to see in the end. And also, it's also kind of cool seeing Tywin writing all these letters and knowing that he is architecting the Red Wedding. Uh-huh. Like the whole time, like, you know, he's making Tyrion and Cersei wait. He's exchanging letters with Bruce. He's That's what exchanging... I mean. He's not talking about it. He's just getting shit done. Yep. You know? Yep. Yep. It's good. And he's not even, like, bringing his small count. He just got this thing handled. Yeah. Finally... I couldn't help but wonder uh, when Danny's marching this eight thousand plus strong army out of the gates. How the fuck is she going to feed that army? <laughs> you know, because she's still broke. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Even if she pillaged all the wealth and food out of that city, like how are you going to mar- like? They're marching into like this thing that looks like a desert. They've mm-hmm. been like that's kind of the climate. Like, 
I, I feel like um, yeah, you're not going to get much trade there, which is probably the lifeblood of that city. Yeah, uh, trade like they're trading troops for the goods that they need, right? And slaves and as she's de- not going to be doing any of that. As detailed and intricate as Martin's world is, he does like many give kind of short shrift to that kind of logistics. Yeah, you know, it's all like and because I think people give the double D shit about that, like oh, it's all just round numbers and whatever sounds impressive, or but like I, I don't think George and it's like who cares, right? Yeah, I mean the economics of it is maybe not the thing he thinks of foremost but the politics right. the politics yeah. is pretty good coming yeah, up yeah 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 uh did you have anything you want to talk about uh i like that in brand's dream uh jojen tells him you have to go you have to go find that raven up there yeah. you you know how he's not telling him to go get that bird he's telling him to go up north to find you know the three-eyed raven to become mm. a three-eyed raven i like that go north young man mm-hmm. uh, anything else you want to talk about before we get to the spoiler feedback nah let's do it all right audrey tees up first I had a random thought in the shower the other day that I can't get out of my head. Is there anything in the text or a, the world of ice and fire that suggests that Tywin tur- planned on turning on the Mad King before Robert's Rebellion? If memory serves, King Aerys supposedly took liberties with Tywin's wife Joanna at, on the wedding night and perhaps even additional times after. This usually spurns people into thinking Tyrion is a secret Targaryen. But wouldn't it also make Tywin unquenchably furious? It's said that on his wedding day uh, was the one time Tywin ever smiled as he loved Joanna dearly. I can't imagine this happening without Tywin vowing to destroy the king and the whole Targaryen dynasty. Or, I'm sorry, dynasty. (laughs) I could easily see him uh, biding his time for years, maybe even moving some pieces around that would uh, end with the Targaryen downfall, all while acting like an ally. What do you think, Jim? I don't know enough about this Um, to comment. I mean, I feel like, yeah. Like, if if Robert's Rebellion hadn't happened... um, that is something that wouldn't have set well with Tywin. And, you know, you could easily imagine Tywin giving, like, a fire and blood speech the way Prince Doran does in, in the books about, um, you know, kind of the same deal about the the, the rape of Princess Elia and the, 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 the death of her, her, her babies and what an insult that was to their whole kingdom, uh, their princedom, rather. Uh, so, yeah, I could see Tywin doing that. And if you read the history, there's a lot of, like, um, misunderstanding of bet- mutual misunderstanding between Tywin and Eris. And, you know, like, er- you know, Eris got his feelings hurt because Tywin didn't do the thing he thought he should do, and then Tywin got his feelings hurt. But, like, the thing that's not, un- the thing that's not spoken is, like, what was the initial thing that kind of, like, caused this to happen. And, you know, Eris fucking around with Tywin's wife, because, yeah, that's one thing that does seem like that the one thing that... Tywin might have been a whole different cat if Joanne hadn't died. You know, hmm. uh, I mean, he's always going to be the kind of like avenging angel of the Lannisters that's taking the respect back, uh, that's that's reclaiming their corners. But would he have been a shitty father? Or even if he had, would Joanne have been able to balance that out so their kids turned out differently? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's something that definitely turned his, his character fundamentally colder and, and more distant and aloof. Um, so, yeah, hmm. that's that's my thoughts on it. Uh, Kenneth P. I was searching Google for any news about the books. He's speaking of Winds of Winter about a month ago, and I came across this article in WinterIsComing.net. In it, the author of the Outlander series, um, Diana Gabaldon, I believe is her name, Gabaldon. Uh, the outla- the the author of the Outlander series details a conversation she had with Martin about his progress, and he replied as such: "I'm having all kinds of trouble. Have you ever just <laughs> killed someone off that you later realized you needed? I have painted myself into a corner." Uh, hmm. Instantly, I thought of Rob based on his past remarks on the TV version of Rob and his admission that he should have made Rob a POV character in the books. 
Do you think he regrets killing Rob, or do you think it's someone else? Furthermore, regardless of who it is, can you imagine a problem like this killing an entire story? Man, I'm trying to remember where we are in the story in the books. Uh, Halfway not, through book not three. It's not Stannis, right? Stannis is not dead yet in the books? Stannis is not dead okay. yet. Okay. Um, trying to think of the people who have been killed in the books. So you've got Prince Doran's son uh, that came across, and he got burnt to death by Danny's dragons. I don't think that's it. Uh, you got Ty. You, you, he killed Tywin. He killed Kevin Lannister. Uh, Pycelle. I'm I'm wondering if it wasn't because because here's the thing. I don't I don't think it's Rob because I feel like the first three books Martin kind of nailed. Yeah. Like this is exactly what I want to do, and then he intended to just wait five years and then come back to tell the other story of how the realm is made right. But when he started doing that, he started coming into problems with, like, well, how did this person get here? And how has Cersei kind of kept things together if it's just, like, like how, how do all these things these, these things happen? Is it John? Huh? Is it John? Uh, Isn't he dead at the end of the I final book? I think he's got it. Like, there's so much foreshadowing <laughs> about how that would happen. I would assume so, yeah. Um, I try to think, like, I wonder if it's somebody like Kevin. Like, he's now having the same problem, like, shit. How in the world does Cersei not just collapse upon herself? Hmm. Because everybody that could possibly save the realm has been dead or is on the other side, and I'm not ready to bring them down to be the avenging hero yet. I wonder if it's something like that, because the first three books, I just feel like Martin really just nailed. And his feast and dance that he was kind of winging, doing his gardener versus architect shit, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and out of his hands. And the people that died in those books... um, I guess Rob felt like that was architected. Like mm-hmm. it's another invert. You think he's going to be the young conquering hero, and he's dead. He's talking about Ned. Never should. I just never should have written these books. Yeah. Never should have killed Ned. Who else could he? Because uh, like I guess there's like Beric and Darian. I mean, I don't believe that the Hound is dead. It can't be the Hound. Uh, I don't know. That's I. I I'm what about curious Catelyn? to see what everybody else feels. But he's got her back in the form of Slade yeah, Stoneheart. but she's not the same. Not the same, but that's like that's his decision. Like she's still alive. He could figure mm-hmm. out a way. Like even though she's got pieces, but he's of saying he missing. regrets one of his decisions. That's <laughs> true. But like I'm saying, like he could. Why couldn't he just soften Cat? Like there's there there mm-hmm. the rules of what happens when you're resurrected are not quite set in stone. Yeah, you know we've got Barrick's tale of it. We've got but like Barrick died five five or seven times probably. Uh, and you know, yeah, he says, "Oh, yeah, there's pieces of me missing. I'm not the same person." But he's just, he's not a villain. Like Cat is like a borderline. You know, she's like a Magneto character. Like I understand where you're coming from, but Jesus Christ, it's a little too far, right? I don't know. The Hound. But I don't like. I, I think he's. Not, the, I, I don't think he's dead. Like that's, right. I, I agree. He's it's a poorly not kept dead. secret. If so, yeah. I, I, I'm just wondering what he could have actually meant by that. I'm curious of what our fans think. Um. Right. Because and, and I'm going to do some more thinking on it too because that's an intriguing, a little mm-hmm. intriguing quote that I had not actually uh, seen yet that just came out in June, so I'm, I, I missed that one. Uh, Jeff, this was one of my favorite episodes because of the last scene with Daenerys. She is in this moment probably the best option the realm has for queen slash king. She's equally powerful, cunning, and respected by the lowest members of the society. She stays strong the rest of the season when she takes Young uh, Kai and when she first takes Marine. But then her character does a complete stall for two full seasons. Do you think it would have made more sense for her character or just for pure enjoyment if some of her story had been changed and moved around? What I was thinking was that if this season, uh, which arguably has a lot of great moments already, had Daenerys going to Pintos or some other city and learning to rule alongside the rulership 
uh, leadership of that city. Then in late season four, they do all this stuff with the Unsullied, and then season five, all of this stuff in Marine, but cutting out all the bullshit parts and only getting to the quote-unquote good stuff. I feel like this would be a lot more interesting instead of taking the season two character that was whiny and weak and making her great and then doing nothing for her for a season and a half. I don't know. I've I've never had the same problem with Danny, you know, the, the just getting stuck over in Essos for however long because I've always viewed it as a learning experience for her. Right. Um and, and they all they also have cut a lot of that stuff. Like uh, it's arguably that they've already cut most of the bad shit out of the marine stuff and condensed it. Huh. Yeah, so I I guess I just don't agree that it was necessarily bad. Like there's there's plenty of stuff that I think they maybe should have cut or changed or whatever in yeah. ensuing seasons. But Danny's stuff, I thought she needed to learn the lessons that she learned. You know, yeah. she has one triumphant moment here, right, where yes. she bamboozles the slave masters, right. but she doesn't think through the consequences of her actions. And that's the thing that Jorah and Barristan are trying to tell her. Right. Is like you need to think about the consequences. Like this absolutely wouldn't work. It's like she took this army, this skill set over to King's Landing. She gets her ass kicked, right, by Tywin. Yeah. Uh, and it's not just and that's she, she needs you time think for, about. To, for her dragons to grow. Like there's a lot of the stuff that happens over there that right. I think is important for Danny to grow into the person that she needs to be to take Westeros. And then there's there's two things happening. Danny is growing and Westeros is getting weaker. Yeah, that's you know, true. Like like Danny with her Dothraki screamers and her Unsullied. Does she beat? Does she outfight Tywin? Probably not. Does she? I mean, like, there's, especially not with small dragons. There, there's formidable. Like her dragons have to grow. Like all the that's this is you can see why Martin wanted to do the five year flash forward because he could yada yada through. Right. You know, Danny has ruled as slave, the queen of Slaver Bay, and she's amassed her power, and she's learned that the the value of patience, and she's built up a spy network, and she's penetrated Westeros, and. You know, and also Tywin is now dead, and all, but you can see why just flashing forward five years would, you know, now you don't have a sixteen-year-old Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, you don't have a twelve-year-old mm-hmm. girl becoming a Master Assassin, you don't have, you know, like it, it helps out a lot of things, uh, but alas, alas, it it, it, it didn't didn't happen. Uh, I wonder if, because I, I get it, like you got to tell some stories, but man. Feast and dance are massive, and in my mind, poorly edited. Like, how do you go from like expanding the five year thing to all that stuff? I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I wonder if the thing he killed off and he regrets is the five year gap. <laughs> <laughs> like, if he could go and with full knowledge, uh-huh. maybe, maybe you just do the five year gap, and I have a novella I come out later that tells some of the more interesting things, like the death of Tywin Lannister and all that stuff. Just he should just go back and write a book that replaces the last two books. Why not? George Lucas did it. Yeah, and like Stephen King if you fucked do with it. that uh Dark Tower a lot. Just say I I want my redo. I'm yeah. taking a mulligan. I'm gonna yeah. redo the these books and yeah. and we're gonna we're gonna Special untie edition. this whole knot. Especially yeah, we're gonna retie the Marinese knot and just 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 yada yada five years later. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Shaka C question about Jon Snow. What do you think of the theory that Varys knows who Jon Snow is? I've been thinking about this, and I find it hard to believe that Rhaegar Targaryen disappeared for basically a year during Robert's Rebellion, annulled his marriage, and got secretly remarried by the High Septon, assigned three Kingsguard to guard his expectant wife with all the uh, Master of Whispers knowing nothing about it. I could see Varys 
making the conscious decision to let Ned Stark simply take the child with him to the north and die with the secret, as it would have been more trouble than it's worth to try to install John as the new Targaryen when Viserys was the known alternative. I could see Varys being the confirmation to Danny, especially on the show once Bran and Sam and maybe Howland Reed exposed John's origins. Ironically, he would probably be the most credible source to uh, other <laughs> in-world characters. Uh, I... I, I guess I agree with most of that analysis. Like, I do think that Varys probably knows. I think if anybody would know, he's the he's the guy. Or he knows in the same way that Tyrion knows Cersei had tried to get him killed in the Battle of the Blackwater. Right. He might not have the receipts and the, the records. certificate, yeah. But, like, that's a pretty compelling timeline you just lay, laid out there. Sure. Um, but, you know... And, the, and they do kind of need somebody yeah. to... I don't know. I mean, do they need somebody to verify in the show? Because we know as an audience, right? They've shown us enough to know. I think so. 100% that... Yeah, because like it's one thing for us to know, but it's like when the when we as the audience know who killed the real killer is and the murder mystery. Well, that doesn't do the characters any good. They still have to solve it, right? Like, yeah, but what does it matter? Yeah, Brand knows. I mean, John John has found his way uh, into like to being hand in hand with the Queen of Westeros. You know, the eventual Queen of Westeros. Right. Uh, for my assumption, so what does it matter if he's a Stark or a Targaryen? To, to, you know, the eventual outcome of this. The only thing that matters is it might, you know, if you start... The, the, the way it would matter is it's, it could potentially start shit between Danny and John, depending on how they handle that information. Like, I, right. I don't think the shit's going to be started on John's side. It might be Danny. Because, like, you know, they've been mm-hmm. playing with the idea that Danny might be going mad. Um, you right. know, or she's let her quest for righting the wrongs take her down dark paths and... Yeah. You know, she could see John as a rival to her grand scheme of breaking the wheel. Uh, that, I guess, is the only thing that would... But they also don't have to do any of that, right? They don't have to go down that route. No, I just feel like they're going to. I don't like it, but I remember feeling that strongly after last season that, like, they're going to start shit between Danny and John just to start shit. Yeah. I mean, I think I do think it would be more satisfying if the characters had some kind of proof, but mm-hmm. don't know that they absolutely need it. Because, uh, yeah, because like, here's the thing. Bran knows it. Yeah. John's going to believe Bran. His sisters will believe Bran. That's the North. <laughs> sure. And so, like, Danny either believes if, it or doesn't. Because, like, yeah. his thing is, like, Danny won't, won't give a shit. I mean, I guess if Varys knows and he can back it, then that would be that, that would be something she would probably put stock in. But she doesn't give a shit about Howl and Reed or anybody like that. So, um, yeah. anyway, Tyson... What would you guys think if Germs came out and said something like, I've written the ending a million different ways, and there's only one way that feels emotionally right. Problem is, it makes something earlier in the books not make sense, and I can't find a way to resolve it. If everyone could just forget this one thing or give me a mulligan, I'll send the books to the publisher tomorrow. So this is the Jim Jones theory yeah, yeah, I just say got put up. Whatever, whatever book contains the thing that you that doesn't make sense after you write your ending, just go back and republish it without that. There you go. Problem solved. Yeah, I, I, I say this totally tongue in cheek. There's no way he can get away with that, right? Well, well why can't the fan- he? Because the fandom would hold on to it like they did with, hash- okay. you know, hashtag like Han shot first. Like that whole thing, there would be a huge rift in the fan community. And if he wants to cause that, I guess he can. But but if it if it if it makes if everyone agrees that the next books come out and they're much and and they're great, does mm-hmm. it? Does anyone matter? Let me give you an example. Like No Man's Sky, right? That thing was a shit show. That video mm-hmm. game got released and had so much expectations. It's a total shit show. I'm kind of in disbelief that it's having a comeback. 
Yeah. Like no, these I, guys I have played con- it most of last night. Okay, because I, I was watching Crafty on Twitch play it, and he's just mm-hmm. having a fucking ball. And I'm like, how have these devs continued to polish this thing in the background and almost getting, like, a second PR boost by, like, hey, we've actually got it, and this is more like the game we we sold you a year ago. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like fan bases, yeah, they are they are fickle. They're quick to be pissed, but they're also, if you give them what they want, they're quick to overlook the thing that got them there. I mean, you'll definitely have people that will, like, be starting shit in every thread from, from now until the heat death of the universe about George take an easy way out but like with the majority like if we're talking about that bell curve would the majority of people care if the if the product in the end is is good and he's just honest and says like hey i fucked up i don't know i mean the majority it's hard to say but i think books are very different medium than games like people people expect games to evolve and change and get more content different content updates People don't expect that with books. They they sort of view them as written in stone. Yeah. Once you've told your story, that's the story, and now it's your job as a writer yeah. to figure out a way to tell that story to its conclusion satisfyingly. Yeah, and I also think that I I honestly don't understand why George is this taking this fucking long. I feel like this is much more of a psychological problem than a plot because. Mm-hmm. Things don't feel that fucked up in the books, and like the, the the double D's certainly have found a way to proceed that isn't like causing outright outrage, and they're doing it on a they have to come out with another book's worth of material every fucking year, no exception. So like I think if George had the proper pressure applied to him, that it's this is more procrastination than real writer's block. I tend to agree. Yeah, I don't know much about the man or his lifestyle or his situation, but yeah, I mean, when you go this long, yeah. knowing that you need to write a book, and there are a lot of pressures on him to yeah. write this damn book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and you don't do it. Yeah, it's not because because he can't quite figure out the story. Right. Because writers have a million tools in their arsenal sure. to patch over broken road. Yeah. Uh, in their story, and if you just refuse to use those then that's, like, some mental hurdle you need to get over, I guess, yeah, as a I mean, because, like, he, with the arch villains of the universe, the White Walkers, we don't know anything about. Right. Really, five books in. Mm-hmm. So, like, there you go. Like, you could you could probably smooth a lot of broken uh, ground just by having them, like, like at, at some point, you got to shit and get off the pot. And I feel like <laughs> the White Walkers could just invade at any time, and that would focus everything right up, you know? That's true. Yeah, uh, and also like you know, Danny's posed po- posed on a war. She's she's actually you know uh, ha- she she she's got a touch of the plague out in the wastelands of Drogon. Um, but like you know, she could really quickly reunite the cows, crush the resist last vestiges of the the resistance in Slaver's Bay. Her dragons are now grown, uh, and she's learned to master at least Drogon, or at least to have some kind of uneasy alliance with him. Like it's all there. And then the White Walkers, you know, blow, uh, someone gets a hold of the Horn of Jorman and blows. Like I, I, just, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand because like, there's no fucking way it's taken this long to resolve this this problem. There's no way. No, no I, way. I guess if I were in his position, I would be thinking, it's not, it's never good enough. Like yes. it, it's, it's, I have put myself in a position where everyone is expecting the most brilliant work they've ever read. And every time I look at what I've written in these chapters, yeah. I say, that's good, but it's not great. 
Right. And you can say that forever. Especially when like the first three the... books, I think he felt turned out perfectly. Yeah. Like, like it's one of those things like, holy shit, I haven't had to compromise anything. I did everything I set out to do. These last two books have been tough, and now there's 100 million people literally watching. And this... I think that's the problem. Yeah. yeah. yeah no, it's, it's there's just... so many eyes expecting so much of him. It's a, it's a psychological problem. He needs yeah. to, like, I don't know microdose on LSD or something. He needs he, he needs to do so he needs to do something to get his to get his brain chemistry on the right track because I, I, I feel I mean I I feel sorry for you can feel about someone who's that rich and famous. Right. And has that much creative and personal power. Because mm-hmm. it does seem like he's in a hell of his own of his own creation. All right, let's move on. Uh, Darrow S. I'm a show only fan. There's something I would love a little clarification on. The red priests and priestesses are far more common in Essos but the prince that was promised is tied to the long night, which took place in Westeros, which is a connection. Uh, what is the connection between the two? Uh, well, it's interesting because it's my understanding that the prince that was promised is actually a Targaryen legend. That the Targaryens, uh, or like a Valerian legend that the Targaryens uh, got interested in uh, with Prince uh, Rhaegar. Mm. That, like, you know, he got real deep into the library and started reading all these ancient tomes and came up and said, oh, uh... I, I, I got to get cracking on this because whatever. Um, but I will say that, like, you're supposed to understand in Westeros, well, in, in the world, in Planetos, um, that this long night befell the entire planet. And much like, you know, there's religious scholars that have gone through and looked at, like, all these flood, there's Sumerian flood, flood re- legends, and there's the biblical flood legends. Uh, there's flood legends in uh, uh, the, the the Asian Asian cultures, and the, like this might have like some point in the dawn of humanity. There might have been like a massive localized flood back when we were still like in the plains of Africa and the Middle East that left such an impression that when humans spread throughout the whole globe, that we still carried that legend around with us. And you're supposed to understand that the long night. A real event that happened thousands and thousands of years ago that every culture has a little spin on the essential truth of what happened there. Yeah. So Azor Ahai, the prince that was promised, and other legends that the the um, the last hero. These are all different ways to tell the same story of the same phenomenon that that happened. Right. Um, so that's what kind of bridges them together. Because like I think some people think that this is just uh, something that happened to Westeros. Like when like I think the plant it's it's like an ice age. The whole fucking planet just like the the ice just started forming all over it, and other continents were dealing with it in different ways. But so yeah, that's my that's my short answer on that. Uh, Ali, I'm confused by the idea that Jamie deserves praise and not censure for killing the Mad King. His father was uh, had control of the city. Couldn't he have just restrained the king until the good guys came? He killed the pyromancer, so there's no chance of the wildfire being used. Yet he made the decision to go the extra step and kill the king and should be vilified for it. Or do you think that any action against his king, restraint, or murder would have had the same response due to him being in the king's guard and thus sworn to protect the king? Protect yeah, and I guess, obey. I guess I just don't see it the same way. <laughs> I mean, I think that we're also looking. This is pretty modern way to look at ja- like a character like Jamie. Sure, like like it's, it's similar to like the contractual obligations Danny had to the masters. Like, you know, and Jamie, like Jamie has as was a very idealistic youth that really looked up to the Kingsguard and the institution as like the epitome of what a knight is, and yet he has to watch this terrible person cackle as dozens of people are murdered right before his eyes innocent people good just noble people mm-hmm. um and i just don't think you know now 
Jamie's still Jamie. Like he did that, and and then you know we we've heard from several accounts that when Ned Stark saunters in, or not saunters, when he comes in. Ned Stark does not saunter, (laughs) nor does he he sashay. He tromps. He does not mince. Yes, he stomps and tromps. (laughs) When he's stomped into the throne room and Jamie's kind of sitting on the Iron Throne, like, in a lackadaisical manner, like maybe one leg thrown over the edge, and he's just kind of slouching there. And that's where I think if, if Ned Stark had come in there and he had, like, laid the king's body to rest... And was like you know, like standing over vigil over his body, and was 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 like taking that kind of attitude about the gravity of what he did. But it's a lesser of two evils. I think Ned has a different reaction than when he sees this guy smirking on the throne. And like, what if I? What if Tywin made it to the throne room before me? Mm-hmm. Would you guys just like like it it, it 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 sullied it? And I don't know why Jamie did that. Yeah, no, it's a it's a weird choice in that moment. It seems out of character. Like like he anticipated the reaction, like he prejudged what everyone's going to say about it, and decided to live up to that image. It's a very bizarre choice because I have a hard time, you know, squaring Jamie tearfully talking about how he spares this King Kingslayer thing and how unfair it is and the wolf. I mean, the is li- it possible that Ned lied about it? <laughs> No, I don't think so. I, that would betray his character, right? right. Like the, the the two characters seem to be at odds here, especially when you're talking about things story. that like these are like a lot of were, like Ned's inner thoughts. Uh-huh. I don't know. I mean, so what if what would J- would would Ned misremember Jamie sitting on? I could see Jamie sitting on the throne, distraught, and and Ned being just just misremembering the emotional aspect of it. But right. why would Jamie be sitting on the throne? Period. That's not something you do if you if you accept the gravity of the what you did. You compromise. He your, tripped and fell. Exactly. Right. Right yeah. into the throne. <laughs> Slip, tripped, Whoops. and fell on the throne. The crown. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know. I guess I I don't I don't view that as a an ethically terrible move by Jamie to kill the Mad King when there was a chance to subdue him. Uh, he was about to commit some truly heinous shit. He clearly had both no qualms about doing it and potentially no idea what he was actually doing right i i feel like in that moment in that world jamie is well within reason to just take this guy yeah, you, out. jamie would be elevated to saint status if he had the restraint to like you know right. imprison the king for tr- later trial by the usurpers and I think he had already had to kill the the other guy who was the pyromancer there yeah, yeah. and was actually going to set off the wildfire yeah, yeah, like yeah. He'd already done some murdering. Yeah. Why not just put the nip this in the bud, you know? Like right. <laughs> as much as you can, a king who has already, you know, gone mad and committed all sorts of atrocities. Uh I agree. Jay, question about episode three or sorry, season three, episode two. If Tywin Lannister were to die of natural causes in season three, wouldn't the laws of succession give Casterly Rock to Tyrion? Tywin argues like he is never going to give his ancestral home to Tyrion, but if he is dead, he really does not get to chime in on that. It does not sound mm. like wills and estates are a big thing in Westeros. If Tywin's plan was to Joffrey somehow... Joffrey would, though. True. Yeah. And Joffrey ain't giving shit to Tyrion. So, um... And he, he says, well, I guess Kevin Lannister could put up a fight uh, and event, or, like, essentially dispute the... the and that's... Ex- so I think that's what people always... The mistake people make is they think that this... These these laws of hereditary and succession right. are some ironclad thing that everyone always respects all the time. Like they're only respected in times of peace and if it's what the powerful want to happen. Yes. 
Like, if the powerful want something else to happen, they will annul marriages, they will cancel alliances, they will stab yeah. people in the back, they will do whatever it, it, it Whatever takes. they think they can get away with, you know, right. to, to uh, empower themselves exactly. and their, their family. Might literally makes right. Like, uh-huh. there was not a shred of tradition that said that Ned and Robert were right to raise their banners and go to war and usurp the throne. Yeah. They... They made it kind of right in the like and put Robert up there because he had some great grandmother with a Targaryen ancestry through the Baratheon. But like it, it what that was just the cloak that they hung over it to after the fact, right? Um, you know, there is like it's like there they, these these are laws, but they are respected as well as our own laws when they come into conflict with the, the rich, wealthy, and powerful and influential. Yeah, the Game of Thrones has nothing to do with hereditary rights yeah so like cersei and jamie would just get with joffrey and joffrey would find he would pray with the high septon yeah. and it turns out that the will of the gods is that uh jamie for his valorious service mm-hmm. and Tyrion for his utter shit to look at the gods they've cursed the man how could he possibly inherit these lands give to jamie right that's Done. exactly what would happen yeah uh, Mark from Denver, Colorado. While watching and uh, listening to season three's podcast, I started to wonder why isn't Howland Reed marching with Rob? After Ned's death, I would think he would be right there with Rob marching on King's Landing. Uh, Howland's up doing other shit right now. <laughs> that's, I mean, I don't know because, like, I don't know what George wants, what his role for Howland to be. I will say that, like, the Cranigan, uh, the, the Cranog men. Uh, Howland Reed's guys are more like uh, special forces, and mm-hmm. you, in the books, they are actually the ones that are uh, leading this guerrilla campaign to secure the homeland against the Ironborn. So they're huh. actually patrolling the neck, and they're really fucking taking it to uh, uh, Yara and uh, uh, the Greyjoy forces, mm-hmm. and using their poison arrows and just just doing. I think there's a little bit of that in the show too, just just really reaping a grim harvest. So. Uh, and you know, did I, I can't even remember. Maybe Rob even decreed that. Uh, that that, but but yeah, I don't. They, it'd be like sending in your special forces to fight to fight a conventional land war and like mm-hmm. open terrain. Like it'd just be a waste. Send of, them to the beaches of Normandy. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like you send your commandos behind the lines to fuck shit up and get in and out and cause confusion. And 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 they're they're just they're they're not built. Like they're a slight people. They're, they use camouflage and mobility to 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 strike where you, you not expect them to be. So um, the real question is why did Howland Reed you know follow Ned in the first place? Mm-hmm. Um, it's because they have this like really like intense personal loyalty that goes back to when they were kids. And there's this whole story about the Night of the Laughing Tree and this like tournament that happened. I think at Heron Hall. Um, you, you know you'd have to get into this whole big book thing about why they're such fast friends. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's that's the explanation. Uh, final email, Abe. After having watched season seven, I was amazed during my rewatch of the episode how much Drogon had grown over the course of this series. This got me thinking: Are Danny's dragons done growing? Presumably, Viserion is not going to get any bigger. But what about the two living dragons? I mean. That's a that's a stunning statement of yeah. scientific fact. <laughs> Snowballs get bigger. In a way, Come on. That's true. They're not Come alive. On, just roll them around in the snow. He'll get bigger. Exactly. He'll absorb <laughs> the snow force. Yeah. Uh, is it possible? He'll be snow god. Vasira <laughs> <laughs> uh, Snow. Uh, is it possible that we will see an even larger Drogon in season eight? And if so, uh, is that 
what would give Danny an edge over the Night King. Would be interested to hear your thoughts on this and if the books give any hints. I mean, I guess I hadn't considered that they're not quite full grown yet. Yeah, because like, they look so huge. But yeah, maybe Balerion the Dread, which was uh, Aegon the Conqueror's personal dragon, uh, was big enough to swallow uh, an oryx, which is like a super ox uh, in uh, you know uh, in Game of Thrones parlance, whole. Um, and his wings were so wide that it said that like he could sh- when he flew over a town he could shroud the entire town in shadow and that's just the biggest Targaryen dragon the Targaryens were a relatively middle of the road Valerian house that only escaped the doom of Valeria because one of their princesses had a dream that shit was about to go down so mm-hmm. they de over to Westeros so mm-hmm. in the books it's stated a few times that dragons are kind of like crocodiles uh, that they never stop growing until they die they, the rate of growth slows, yeah, yeah. Um, but they like if 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 and and I think Balerion was like 150 to 200 years old when he finally died, uh, and I think they they mm. he died of old age, so that kind of puts a, 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 a some sort of bound on how long. Like I wouldn't be very surprised if a dragon could live twice that long, mm-hmm. um, or if they would die like at the age of 50 or 60 of natural causes. But yeah, they can get fucking huge. Like imagine mm. like the biggest musk ox you've ever seen or like an elk or something like that and a creature that could swallow it whole or like a knight could swallow a knight on a horse hole or something like that mm-hmm. um, and if you ever see a picture of like Aegon a- like he's just this little tiny stick figure on on Balerion's uh, huh. uh, neck so they don't stop growing they can get like Drogon is I would say not even halfway grown um, wow okay so I don't know because he is pretty fucking. But but look at that scene where like Danny's at the dragon pit. Yeah. Um, and and then the one where she you mean with Cersei where they where, where she the gets off cat. like that's not Valerian size that that Drogon couldn't swallow a horse right. Uh, you know so yeah I think uh I I think they can get large much larger. Um, hmm. so there you go and you see I think you see the skull of Valerian in like season one and it is way bigger than like it's like you know it, it's like uh you could probably fit six men in those jaws uh compared to to drogon so yeah mm-hmm. they'll get bigger uh and that's the feedback we got once again right. game of thrones at baldmove.com forums.baldmove.com if you want to join in the spoiler uh thread uh we'll be back with uh episode we're on episode five already already yeah almost halfway through crazy crazy time is flying uh we'll see you that next week until then i'm aaron i'm jim later